Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have a copy of the scripture this morning, I invite you to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. As you're turning there, let me just make this other announcement uh, regarding today. If you um, are unable to stay for the luncheon, but you would like to give, there will be a box in the, in the foyer, I believe it's on this side over here, that you can give if you, need to, if you have someplace you have to be today, uh, you, and you would still like to participate, you can do that um, over there. Also, we do have containers that you could take taco to go. Um, that might be a little tough to eat in your car, but whenever you get to where you're going, um, don't, don't use the, con- you know, don't, if you get pulled over because of your crazy driving, don't use the church as a, your alibi, all right? Sorry, I, all ha- I had all this taco stuff and I was trying to eat it and it just was running everywhere, so, um, but you can get that to go if you'd like to, that'd be awesome. Today I'm going to talk about a subject that I feel God wants us to tackle this morning and on the surface, you may look at this and you may think, well, this doesn't sound very spiritual, but I assure you that it is. It's a subject in which none of us are exempt, and probably all of us practice on a semi-regular basis at least. The title of the message this morning is this, Resisting Complaining. Resisting Complaining. Aren't you glad you came to the house of the Lord this morning? There's a couple of things I want us to look at and, and just some things I believe that are helpful as we look at God's Word today that will help us because I, I think it's, it's our natural thought process of sinful nature to complain um, because that is a matter of focus and perspective. We're going to get to that in just a minute, but let's read this passage. It's in um, 1 Kings 19. We're going to start in verse one, let me kind of give you just a little bit of a, uh, a thing of, of what's going on here. Elijah had just had this amazing experience with God. He had called down, he, he had prayed to the Lord and God sent fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifices, one of the most incredible passages of scripture where there's just like this duel between God and Baal, right? And these prophets of Baal, they did all of these things and they had their sacrifice. And the the thing was that whatever God responded by fire, that was going to be the God that they would choose to serve. And so they set up these sacrifices and, and just kind of synopsizing the story, the prophets of Baal, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed. The Bible says they prayed from morning to evening and nothing happened and nothing took place. And, and uh, Elijah, he's just, he's just giving it to them as they're praying. I, I love that. Um, that's just kind of like my sarcastic thought process. And, and he, he is, uh, he's kind of giving it to him saying, you know what? Hey, maybe your God's still asleep. Maybe you need to yell a little louder. Uh, because he's still sleeping. Can you, can you turn this down just a little bit? Because I just got this feeling I'm going to get loud soon. And, and, and he, um, he tells them that, you know, hey, this is, this is the God, that your God's asleep, and, and maybe you should, you know, just yell a little louder. Maybe you need to do some more stuff. Maybe dance a little harder. Maybe your God's hard hearing. Maybe you shout a little louder. And then finally he says, I've had enough. And and he prays to God, but not until he put 
water on the sacrifice and dug a trench and water consumed the entire and filled up the trench. And then God came and whew, fire came down and it was a ah, great day, right? All the prophets of Baal, they killed him. Ah, great day, right? And then we get to chapter 19. You would think that would be like this amazing experience that you'd be so high from. And then you get to chapter 19. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed to the Lord and prayed that he might die. (laughs) Wait a minute. We just called fire from heaven. We're already wanting to die because one lady Threatened you after you saw God do that? What? He wanted to die. And he said this, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there was a head, by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. When he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. When a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Have you ever been in that situation in life where you just wanted, you just, everything was just wrong? And the only thing you could really do was just grumble and complain about it. I'm the only one left. I can just see that, you know, as he's, he's rehearsed this line because he's used it more than once. I'm the only one left. It's just all about me. You know, when we get to this idea of of complaining and grumbling, the first thing I want us to look at is this. Complaining reveals our perspective and our focus. When we complain, it reveals our perspective and our focus. Have you ever said something like this? My boss drives me crazy. I can't stand this job. These meetings...
This word's for you today, brother. <laughs> the weather is so bad. Oh, it's too hot. It's too cold. There's too much snow. There's not enough snow. My Wi-Fi is slow. And man, I, I finally got an evening at home and to veg out. And there's nothing on Netflix to binge watch. And, and I, I just, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and then you start to think about the things you complain about. Did you know the weather's not your problem? Your Wi-Fi is not your problem? Netflix is not your problem? The problem is that we have lost perspective on the goodness of God, and Satan has taken your eyes off of that and focused them squarely on yourself. That is the problem. That's where complaining begins. The devil gets us, likes to keep us distracted and keep our eyes off of the enormous blessings that we have all around us, off of the goodness and off of the grace of our God and put them onto the smallness of us. And that's why we're prone to complain. Do you know the Bible has several examples? I picked one example in 1 Kings 19. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But the Bible is full of examples. For instance, the children of Israel were chronic complainers and grumblers. They would grumble against God and against Moses. And as a matter of fact, they were pros at it. It seemed like every time you turned around on their journey from Egypt to the promised land, they were complaining about everything. We ain't got no food. I'm thirsty. How can God leave us out here to die? We're tired of manna. All we ever get is manna, manna, manna. Can I have something else besides manna? We can't defeat these people, they're giants. I'm thirsty. They said it twice. <laughs> I'm thirsty. Are we there yet? That <laughs> sounds like a ride with my kids. <laughs> right? They complained about everything. God, you must not even care. Blah, 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 blah. And it's a wonder God didn't turn around and send them back into Egypt. It really is. That's what they asked for. We want to go back to Egypt. It was better there. <laughs> really? Are you sure? I'm not sure you're thinking clearly. Because you see, that's another thing that, about perspective, complaining. When, it, when we start to complain and grumble and our perspective and our focus gets lost, we lose perspective of everything. Because all we're concerned about is us, so we lose the perspective of everything around us. Oh, it was better in Egypt. We liked it when they beat us with a whip and forced us to make all their bricks and stuff. We liked that. That was awesome. It was much better than sitting out here with no food or eating all this man all the time. Hmm. I look at the life of Elijah here, and that thought process of moving from his perspective has changed. When he got the word that, that Queen Jezebel wanted to kill him, his perspective completely changed. Because now it's not just about 
doing what God wants him to do. Now it's about saving my skin. And his thought process and his perspective changes. And, and we see that in the terminologies of verse 4, verse 10, verse 14. I, I took special note as I was reading through that of how many times he used the word I. Did you catch that? I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. I have been very zealous. I'm the only one left. I, I, I. His focus in his perspective is on him. God just did this amazing thing and he used Elijah to do it. And fire came down and destroys this sacrifice. And God was showing himself again to Israel that they would turn from their Baal worship and go after God. But God chooses Elijah to do that. And all of a sudden, because of that, the king and the queen who were totally anti-God, they were totally pro-Baal, they came and they said, we're going to kill you. And at the moment of that, it turns Elijah's focus. Now, I'm sure God is orchestrating this scenario, but I also know that when we make decisions, God also makes decisions. If you read the rest of that chapter, it's, I notice something that the, at the end of this dialogue, complaining session, God appoints his replacement. Mm. Boy, that hit home with me. That at the end of this complaining session, that it was all about him, and don't you know I'm the only one left, and I've had enough. And it's almost like God says, okay, if you've had enough, oh boy. I'll take care of it. And he appoints his successor. I wonder how many blessings of God and how many godly appointments and how many things that God has in store for us. But because we're so focused on us and we complain about the things around us that we miss out on those things because our focus is wrong. I wonder how many times God wants to use you to maybe in a, in a modern day call fire down from heaven and then take care and do everything else that he wants to do following that process up. But we're so concerned about us that we have forgotten our purpose. And the things of this world begin to weight us down. Why? Because we've lost perspective. And then what happens with that is all of a sudden then we start complaining. Oh, man, I'm so tired. God, this is so much. I don't know how you can expect me to do that. I can't teach a Sunday school class and, and help out with the block party and, and do living word. That's all in one weekend. Are you kidding me, God? Whoa. How many times did I use the word I in that? I told you you were glad you came today, didn't I? I'm just telling you, I just wonder, are we missing God's blessing? Are we missing God's plan sometimes because we're so consumed with us that we forget the perspective of God in a situation and in our life? Elijah did. And it wasn't at the end of this conversation that he has with, with, uh, with the Lord God says this, go back the way you came, anoint King Hazael over Am, Jehu, king over Israel, 
And then he says this, anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. I'm sure that wasn't easy for Elijah to hear. We don't know exactly how old he was here, but he couldn't have been that old. God sends, if you continue reading in Kings, which is an awesome read, I encourage you to do that, especially if you like history, that kind of stuff. He sends a chariot of fire and takes Elijah from Elisha. That, that'll probably be a sermon for another day. It's really some cool stuff. The Lord spoke to my heart about that. But God has decided at this moment to move on from Elijah to Elisha because of Elisha's attitude. There's a passage of Scripture that's found in Philippians, lest you think this is just an Old Testament thing. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky, as you have hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Focus. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus and stay the course. You know, there's there's another passage in in Scripture too that I want to kind of show you the opposite side of this, right? We've showed you what it looks like whenever people complain, when they gripe, when they grumble, and, and the, the repercussions of that. I want to show you what the opposite side of looks that. I want to show you what a God thought process looks at. Go to Acts chapter 16, if you would, please. Acts chapter 16. There's a couple guys here that give us a complete different thought process. Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. There's a um, wonderful thought process here, and, and I want you to think about this. Think about the stuff that we complain about. <laughs> it's too hot in here. It's too cold in here. Right? Think about the stuff we complain about. And then I look at yeah, Elijah, man, he should have handled that differently, his, his perspective. But he's running for his life, right? Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. I want you to see this because these are like extreme circumstances, right? Paul and Silas were preaching. They were telling people the good news of Christ. This girl comes behind them, this demon possessed. They cast out the devil. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in jail for preaching. Not only were they in jail, the Bible says this in in verse, I believe it's 23 of Acts uh, 16. It says they were severely flogged. You know what it means to be flogged? It's not just a slap on the wrist. Don't you do that. It's severe, man. Their backs are probably bleeding. They're open, wounded. They're in this prison. And if you know anything about the prisons of that day, they weren't the deluxe accommodations. Chances are they're in the middle. It's dark. It's down into the ground. It's dark. There are jailers that are around them. They are put into stocks. There are all kinds of things around them. And it probably doesn't smell real good. (laughs) 
this is kind of a side note. You, you think about smells. Could you imagine, and this is totally way off subject, but could you remember what the ark smelled like? <laughs> anyway, my buddy and I were talking about that last night. Um, that's totally side. Could you imagine Moses and, I mean, Noah, Moses, Moses in the ark? Yeah. That's a good one, isn't it? Noah in the ark. Um, nowhere in Scripture do I hear about Noah complaining about his circumstances because all he had to do was look out his window. I wonder sometimes in our life if we just got a perspective of looking out and see what God has blessed us with compared to the things that are out there, if that wouldn't help us a little too. But Paul and Silas, they've been beaten. They've been put in this prison. And what did they do? Here it is, midnight. It's midnight. How many of you are still up at midnight? Like five of you. Six of you, maybe. Usually I'm not. I've uh, usually, about 10 o'clock, I started practicing, and about 11.30, I go to bed. But it's midnight. And they're praying and singing hymns to God. Their backs are open. They're bleeding. They're in stocks and bonds in the middle of the jail cell with rats probably running all around them. And what do they do? They start singing and praising God. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. They start singing praises to the Lord. I don't know what they were, what they sounded like. Could you imagine if your name was included in there somewhere? That might read completely different. It was about midnight and Pastor Joe was sitting in his jail cell saying, God, why did you do this to me? What are we doing here? All I did was preach. And here I am sitting here in this cell and I can't even, my, my hands are tied. I'm just sitting. God, I wish that you would just take care of this because this is stupid. Right? That's the word we use at our house. This is stupid. You might read a little different. What if you found yourself in that situation? Would you be praising and singing? Because what you do in that situation determines your perspective and your focus. It determines your attitude and who you are and what you do when those situations come. You may not be bleeding and sitting in a jail cell, but maybe you got a report from the doctor that makes it feel like you're that way. You may not be sitting and bleeding in a jail cell, but you've just got a pink slip from work. You may not be sitting and bleeding in the middle of a jail cell, but there are things that are happening in your family that you can't even control, and things just seem like they're going crazy. And your response to that and how you handle that determines where your focus and your attitude is. Is it something that says, God, I'm going to praise you in this storm. I'm going to praise you in the middle of this. I'm going to sing because I know, God, that you have me in the palm of your hand. And that no matter what happens on this earthly life, I know that I have an eternal home. I know that my security is found in you. I know that, God, you can heal. Then you can change. And you can move. And, God, I am not going to just focus on me, my wants, my desires, my stuff. I'm going to turn this around. And I'm going to focus on you. 
Because when you start focusing on yourself, all of a sudden the issues of life become illuminated. And Jesus becomes dim. And we sit back and we think, man, what am I going through? What's happening here? I ask you this question. Who do you relate to the most? Do you relate to Elijah? To the children of Israel? As soon as something happens, you're quick to complain? Or do you break out in song like Paul and Silas? Do you break out in worship? Because worship and prayer help keep your focus where it needs to be. I challenge you with this thought. Next time you catch yourself complaining, because all of us will be tempted to complain. And uh, since I preach this message, you're welcome, because that'll probably happen today. But next time that you're tempted to complain, I challenge you to ask for a prayer. I challenge you to start praying. Next time, and don't pray prayers like Elijah did. I'm the only one here, God. Don't you care? I challenge you to make worship and praise part of your life. Maybe even break out in a song. That'd be great. If you do it in Walmart, I'll join you. I'll sing along with you. It'd be great. I just wonder, sometimes I think we need to get God's perspective on things. And keep God in perspective in our life. A couple other things. And I'll go through these quickly. Complaining happens, and, and I noticed this in Elijah's life in, in 19, 1 Kings 19. Complaining happens more when you're tired, when you're worn down. Have you ever noticed that? And when you get tired, it's really easy to complain. It's really easy to just kind of have a different thought process. Everything seems to get magnified by 10, <laughs> it seems, when I get tired. The trash is always full and has to be taken out. How in the world can one family produce this much garbage? I don't understand. Your boss, your coworkers, your church, your friends, your family, they're all a little bit more crazy. They're all a little bit more needy. They're all a little bit more selfish. They're all a little bit more pig-headed when you're tired. But I want us again to hit the focus thought of that. When we get tired... We tend to focus on us. It's another byproduct of that. When we get tired, we tend to let prayer time go. Don't we? I'm too tired. Or we do it this way. This is classic. We say, I'll wait till I go to bed to pray. Right? And our prayers look something like this. Dear God, thank you for this day. And I just... I just don't even know what to say. God, I just, I just, I'm, I'm finding myself at a loss for words right now. I just came. And, and then the next thing you know what, you're asleep, right? When we get tired, we tend to let our Bible reading go. Because then we justify that by saying, I can't even read because reading just makes me I'm just so tired and all the words are like dancing on the page. Right? So we let that go. In our times of tiredness, we tend to let worship go because we say, oh, I'd rather sleep in than get up and give praise to God this morning. I need my rest. 
I'm not even going to connect that with the idea of church service, but know that that's subliminally just put in your mind by me right there. We're inclined to rest, and we want to charge our physical body, and we don't understand that when we neglect our spiritual body and only charge our physical body, we don't really get the rest that God wants us to have. Are you hearing that? We think that, and we all need physical rest. Don't get me wrong. The Bible preaches that, teaches that. We need to rest. But I think sometimes we all the thing we the only thing we ever rest, the only thing we ever re-energize, and the only thing we ever build up is our physical body, and we leave our spiritual man to starve. And when you rest, it's key that you build not only your physical man, but you rejuvenate your spiritual man too. Have the Holy Spirit recharge you. And as you do that, that in turn helps your physical man to get strength. Don't miss out on what God wants to speak to you every day just because you feel like you're tired. Eventually, it will lead to more than just complaining. It'll lead down the road to sin. Finally, this thought process too. Complaining is contagious. We find that in, with the children of Israel as you look throughout. With one started, they all just kind of joined in. It was contagious. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, fault finding is dreadfully catching. One dog was set a whole kennel howling. It typically runs faster than colds in a classroom when we start with this attitude of complaining. One person says something, that's all it takes, man. Boom! And we're on board, and uh, yeah, I heard about that. Can you believe that this is happening? All this blah, 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 blah. As believers in Christ, we've got to do what Paul says in Scripture, take every thought captive and make it under the subjection of Christ. We've got to challenge our minds to fight every urge to grumble and complain. We've got to keep our focus and our, and our perspective on Christ. We have to do what God's called us to do and, and keep our bodies and our spirits energized. We have to do our best to get away from those thought processes of people that are contagiously complaining. And we have to preach and teach love in that way. You know, I think that we can hold each other accountable in this in a loving way. But it takes a repentant, loving heart to accept that kind of correction. It's a heart issue. So I challenge you today. Are there some things that you find yourself complaining about? There's some things you find yourself grumbling about. Check your thoughts. Check your focus. Check your heart. Because what will happen is that's a down, that leads you down a dangerous path. And that path will begin to lead you down a path of bitterness and hurt as you begin to complain, you begin to research. Because you're always then not looking for the positive and the blessings of God and things. You're looking for the negativity. And you begin, your focus really just begins completely to go away from God and it goes completely onto you. God's called you to greater things. God's got greater things in store. And he wants to use us to touch so many people's lives. Let's not be complainers and grumblers. Let's go after God with all our heart.
Let's bow our heads. Father, today I thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, that, uh, that today we can have a heart after you. I know in my life, and I'm sure I, I'm sure that this is probably with all of us, I don't know of one person that has, well, I can't think of one person anyway in my life that hasn't probably struggled with this because it's all a temptation. Because it's what, one of the things the devil uses us against us as he tries to get our focus off of you, Lord, and onto ourselves. So God, I pray that you would help us with this idea of keeping ourselves in right, not only relationship, but right mental capacity, right focus of heart and mind and perspective. And whenever we get tempted to complain, when we get tempted to grumble, when we get tempted to to do those kind of things that speak negativity, God, I pray that you would help us to remember the words of your word today. The challenge that was given not only from Elijah, but from Paul and Silas, and also from Philippians chapter 2, where he says, don't grumble, because you're, you're showing Christ to people. You don't want to give that kind of image to folks. You want to show them the love of you, Lord. That's what we want to do. So God, help us. Help us to keep the right attitude and the right perspective. Help us, God, to keep the right focus in our heart and our mind. You're here this morning and your head's bowed, your eyes closed. And you'd say, you know what, Pastor? I want you to remember me in this closing prayer because I, I really have a hard time with this. I'm going to have a hard time with complaining, with glump, grumbling. And I want God to help my focus to be on Him. I want God to help me through this. God will. But it involves you getting a new perspective. And today you would just slip your hand and say, Pastor, would you remember me in this time? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hands all around the room. Hands all around the room. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I'm just going to ask if you would just grab the hand of the person next to you. We're going to pray for one another. Father, right now, God, I pray, God, that you would just help us today. God, I pray that you would just give us your strength and the resolve of the Holy Spirit to to help us to gain our focus back on you. God, there's so many times that we are tempted. There's so many times that we we are drawn aside to our own lust and our own stuff and our own things that, and life becomes all about us when God really, as I read your word, life is all about you. You bought us with a price. You paid for our salvation. So the greatest thing I can give you back is me. And you became the Lord, not just the Savior of my life. You became the Lord of my life. And so God, I pray today, help us to regain that focus 
this. Help us to regain that perspective. And when those times come and, and we're tempted to complain and we're tempted to grumble, help us to pause and just ask ourselves, are we, do we have a proper focus in this? Is this a God focus or is this a me focus? God, I pray that you would help us, God, as we move forward. God, to see the kingdom of God moving in our heart and in our life. May your purposes and your plan, God, may you not have to find a successor for us in the plans that you have for us to do. But God, may we walk with you and may you do great things through us as we have our focus and our attention on your heart, God, today. Help us to worship in the midst of difficulty. Help us to praise in the midst of heartache. Help us, God, to give you glory in the midst of difficult circumstances. Because, God, we know at the end of the day, at the end of this life, when this life is over, there's only one life that lasts forever, and that's life with you. Because your name is the only name that gives us the power to save, that has power to save. And so, God, today I pray, help us, Lord. Help us to focus. Help us to get perspective and help us, God, to rest, but not in our rest, not neglect the Word of God, not neglect worship. Help us, God, to, to just move in you, God, I pray. And I give you glory and honor today. God, I also ask that you would just bless our time of fellowship today. Bless the meal, bless the food, bless our time together as we honor and we, we, uh, we just give glory to you for the great things you do. God, I praise you and I thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Hug somebody's neck. We prayed over the food, so downstairs you can get started. Have a great day. Praise the Lord.